0: are listening to the Vibrant Visionaries podcast hosted by me, Heidi Bennett. Welcome old friends and new listeners. What is Vibrant Visionaries all about? Well, this is how I describe a vibrant visionary. They're a creator skilled in a variety of disciplines who combine their many talents to bring the world innovative, groundbreaking, culturally impactful art and entertainment. They're curious, overflowing with a million ideas, a lifelong learner, tinkerer, and experimenter. They're compassionate, empathetic, emotionally intelligent, usually a little sensitive, and always abundantly hilarious. They understand the value of vulnerability when it comes to telling original stories and creating a compelling, thought-provoking body of work. Simply put, a Vibrant Visionary is my type of weirdo. These are the people I love having on the podcast and our relatively new YouTube channel. So if this all sounds good to you and maybe you even identify as a Vibrant Visionary, I invite you to check out all of our podcasts on VibrantVisionaries.com and pop over to the YouTube channel, Vibrant Visionaries Network. If you're interested in seeing the beautiful faces of a lot of the folks that I've been interviewing lately, I also have the Vibrant kitchen there where I teach uh, simple recipes, really lightning fast and packed with flavor. I also share some of my vintage cookbooks and eclectic destinations, favorite gadgets, etc. So that's where you can find me now on with the show. Hey everybody, this is Heidi Bennett. Welcome to the Vibrant Visionaries Network. We're on YouTube and also as a podcast as Vibrant Visionaries. Today's Vibrant Visionary is a new author, but someone that's worked in publishing and somebody who has uh, worked in that arena, but not quite this way yet. So I'm really excited to welcome Megan Tatey. Hey, welcome, Megan.
1: Hi there, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on. I'd love to hear about Super Bloom. It was recently published and how you got started, what it's all about, just throw everything at me.
1: So my debut novel is Super Bloom. I have it right here and it came out on May 2nd via Zibi Books. Um, And it's about a massage therapist named Joan Johnston who is grieving the loss of her love, Samuel. And she's about to get fired from her job at a luxury spa in Vermont. She gets one chance to save her job and that's to get a glowing review from the most demanding client, a famous romance novelist named Carmen Bronze. Carmen breezes into town and she gives Joan um, a chance to get that glowing review. She wants dirt about the spa and, uh, she wants to set her next bestseller there. So this isn't giving too much away. Joan complies and along the way begins to wonder if she should write that love story instead. So, so, yeah, it's funny. It's tender. It's got all the the juicy bits, you know, I love I always say I love reading um like the salty and sweet combined. you know, <laughs> like, a uh, M&M with a piece of popcorn. Like that's what this is. It's funny. It's sweet. You cry a little, you laugh a lot. Um, that's my hope anyway.
0: Awesome. And what has the experience been so far? Um, Because this is your first novel, right? Like going through the whole process of, I don't know, whatever you feel like you want to share, you know, the um, a lot of times on Vibrant Visionaries, you know, we're talking about that creative process it's not like this linear thing like maybe you've you know you had steps and milestones or things you wanted to get done but i'm sure there were um you know unexpected twists and turns and and i'd really love um anything you'd like to share about that the process
1: so this book took me eight years um from conception to now and I used to, you know, I would read about other authors who said this took me a decade or five years. and I'd be like, why? What, <laughs> what the heck? Uh, now I understand. Um, the book was sparked when my husband took me on a surprise trip to Vermont to a spa and I was having a massage and it was not a very good massage. And <laughs> The whole time, you know, I could just tell the woman who was lovely, I, I could just tell she was like, you know, her mind was not in it. She was, she was elsewhere. And, you know, you're just, it's an energetic thing. And I, my face was in the face cradle. And the whole time I was like, what is her deal? What's her story? What brought her to today? What is she heartbroken? Is she, am I her fifth massage of the day? What's it like to work in this spot? And uh, I have a journalism background, so I've interviewed, you know, hundreds of people in my career, and I always want to hear people's stories. So I I had this sort of flooding through my mind, but it felt really creepy to, to sort of ask her everything I wanted to know. So I left that room, not with a great massage, but with this novel idea forming in my head. And I had never written a novel. I have always written, but not so much fiction. And I, I struggled with gaining confidence to do it. And I I didn't know, like I could, could I be someone who writes a novel? I just didn't see it at first. So I had started taking some local writing classes and I was writing little chapters of this book in that course and kind of sharing it and reading it aloud. I worked on the novel for about a year And I sent it out to agents and I thought I was going to like make some agent's dream come true. They were going to be like, I found her. (laughs) I didn't hear anything from anyone. uh, And that was very loud. Um, And I was like, okay, this is a really humbling thing. I have a lot to learn. So I kind of went back to the drawing board, took it apart a little bit. I mean, I did everything. A kind of wrong B that you could do to a novel, like changing the tints, um cutting out a character. I just really I I was like getting my MFA almost along the way. I was also, I run my own writing and editing business. and so I was working full-time. I had two kids along the way who are still young, they're four and seven. And sometimes I just had to put it down because it was hard for my sanity <laughs> to work on it constantly. And then I think, about a year before the pandemic or so, I got more serious about it. And I was like, you know, I'm just gonna really keep recommitting to this, and I'm going to study fiction in a completely different way. I'm gonna I'm gonna really, when I, I've always been a big reader, but I'm gonna really study the books I'm reading. I took a course called How to Write a Breakout Fiction book. And it was the first time years into this process that I started to study the three act structure of a book and inciting incidents and, and, and not that my book had to be a cookie cutter copy of all these other books, but I needed to know why things were working and what wasn't working in mine. I also started um, listening to different podcasts about writers and specifically failure writers who have three novels in a drawer and are now published. You know, I think we can even talk about this more, but we we get sold all of these overnight success stories. And when it doesn't happen like that for us, we think it's because we're talentless and we should probably hang it up. We don't hear the grind and what is happening behind those success stories very often. So I really gravitated toward like, tell me, tell me how you failed, please. And I started hearing more about that. I started really studying how to write a query letter properly. I um, formed a writing group and that uh, there are tons of resources out there, you know, to form writing groups. You can't just be like, join a writing group. Like you there are places that help you do that. And I started getting great feedback from people and it was like slowly slowly the book was getting stronger. I queried again and I got 15 full requests from agents and for listeners and and viewers who don't quite know what that means, you know, you send your query letter out to an agent trying to impress them in a tiny amount of space. If they like what they've read, they say send me your full book. And you do this happy dance thinking like any minute now, it's, the, it's such a hard process to be in the query trenches, sent it out, and ultimately didn't get any offers for representation. But I got an incredible rejection letter from an agent who said, I think you have a stakes issue, meaning there's the stakes for your main character aren't high enough. And she was like, I can't figure it out. I'm reluctantly passing. So I cried (laughs) and then I took it to my writing group and I said, ladies, we have a stakes issue. And again, I worked on it. I worked on it for nine more months and I took it back to her the following fall, this agent who had said no. And often, you know, once it's no, that's a final answer, but I took it to her again. And I said, would you, would you look at this again? And she said, yes. And she said, I'm happy to see you. I'll look at it again. Four months pass. This is how long for people who are like in the trenches and are like, why is this taking so long? It is so long. It's really hard. Four months pass. And in that span of time, I was watching the woman, Zibby Owens, start her publishing company, Zibby Books, who is now my publisher And Zibby has a podcast called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And she was named, you know, one of New York's biggest book influencers. So I had a contact through her and I sent my manuscript to her unagented. And she came back six weeks later with an offer to acquire Super Bloom. And Super Bloom was in such a great shape by that point. So then I could go back to that agent and say, book offer and she said, give me tonight. She read it overnight. And um, you know, she offered representation the next day. The whole thing came together in one week and it was just the best. So that's that's it in a in a seven minute or so nutshell.
0: <laughs> I love it. And uh when we chatted a little while back, um you know you said like oh this will be my first first podcast and now i can tell you know you've talked with a lot of people and you've really gotten a great story about there that's coming out you know so naturally and 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 it's full of yeah all of those different things that i love talking about which is like um other people have done this uh, uh, you know before you find your mentors or people that have already done a lot of the hard work and and learn from them find your um other folks you know the other people that are also writing and you know getting those writing groups and i know that how useful that's been to other folks that i know that are writers and that it takes a long time and that it's emotional and there's all this rejection and then there's your own life you know that can't be ignored. And so, uh, yeah, that was a, a great tale. And uh, yes, I think, I think these days that's the thing that makes podcasts and getting together with people and getting that feedback and all that stuff is that we learn, yeah, nothing's an overnight success. There is a long, and it's okay to do things for a long period of time and and normalize the experience of waiting for months and planting some seeds and then just letting them super bloom eventually, right? (laughs) But then it takes time. How is it feeling now, now that it is
1: out in the world? It feels amazing. And, you know, I think the, the, the patience thing is so hard because we have our email at our fingertips, you know? And so, the refreshing your email is so it's so hard when you're waiting and you've like, you're waiting to hear whether you've, your book has sold if it's on submission or whether you're going to get an agent or whether you're going to get a film deal, you know, like it's, it's just very hard to put it away. Um, and I, one of the things that helped me was to start working on my second book, you know, to start writing something else to distract myself and, Remember, you know, my husband on on days that felt bleak would sort of remind me, "You're doing this because you love you love the actual part of writing." You know, you you your best days, my best days are when I've touched the page in some way, and I've even written with you know Paw Patrols in the background with my kids, and I'm upstairs. You know, I just getting little little you know spurts of it. Um, so having to really remind myself that I'm doing it because I love it, not for the book deal or the payoff and, and, um, and also, you know, <laughs> that publishing a, a book isn't some sort of like major payout or suddenly now I'm famous and I can like, where's my beach house? <laughs> like, no. No that's not really what happens. And I'm still, you know, I, I've sold my second book to Sibi Books, which is so exciting, but normal life is still happening. And, um, you know, I, it, the book's been out for a couple of weeks. It feels amazing. It's, um, been so fun to start to hear from readers and, I've been hearing from people who are saying it's inspiring them to get back to writing, which is Mm. such a joy to hear. Um, You know, there's an aspect of grief in this book. And my character is grieving the loss of her boyfriend that she only knew for six months. It was a very short courtship, but it was an, it was going to be this epic love story. And I wanted to show new love. It's so rare, like, like that point in time and what it's like, to lose someone at the beginning of what feels so epic. Um, and that a lot of the outside forces around my character are sort of telling her it's time to move on, you know, and they're telling her how to grieve. So I've been hearing a lot from people, you know, thanking, just appreciating the permission to grieve no matter what it looks like, no matter who you're grieving and for how long you knew that person. So that sort of feedback is great and just also people just saying oh my gosh this is hilarious i laughed my butt off you know that that's just the ultimate i love i love that so it's been really fun
0: oh that's awesome and i i love that there's that grief piece in there i haven't read the book yet but yes. um combining um humor with discussing grief and how it, it can it's different for every person and I've definitely experienced a lot of loss in my life and, and I certainly know what it's like to, and I like that idea of writing about um, a fresh relationship because you've got all these ideas. I'm sure the character has these ideas of where things might have gone or you know, grieving what could have been. Um, and also maybe even idealizing this person. I know my um, best friend, she passed away. And, I, and there's part of me that, you know, kind of puts her on a pedestal. And she's also like, she was an incredibly creative person and she still influences me to this day, but she's also kind of crabby, you know, sometimes. And it's sort of fun to like think about when she wasn't in such a good mood and, and how fun that could be, you know, and her dark humor and all that. So I am glad at the opportunity to eventually read Superbloom and be able to um, enjoy uh, exploring all these different aspects that, that you share. And, and I definitely, when there's comedy in there, that's always a censure for me, whether it's a mystery or history or whatever it is I'm reading when when it's funny, that's just like, it's gotta be in there. And when we're talking about grief, I mean, laughter has got to be part of the process.
1: (laughs) Ah. It's really true. It's really true. I mean, life is so hard, you know, and and these topics are so hard. And so I find that I process the worst of things while I'm also having comedic relief and being darkly funny. And so I wanted to capture that. My journey... To comedy writing and to just claiming myself as a funny woman took a while. Because I think as women and girls were sort of taught that men are funnier and that, um, you know, I have very distinct memories of being in elementary school and feeling like I had the funny sort of quip or comeback to give. But tamping it down because I wanted to be likable and it didn't feel like funny and likable as a girl could coexist. And I think we, I don't know like what sort of messages, how that's kind of trickling in, but it, it did uh, I'm trying to of course break that at least at home for my own daughter as I was sort of coming along I, I actually remember in my 20s walking having taking a walk with a friend and a girlfriend and she was like you know you're really funny and I I had a boyfriend at the time who I thought was the funny one you know and I think my dad was the funny one it was always the sort of men in my life who were funnier and it so it took me a while to kind of, claim that for myself and say, I'm actually going to write a com- a comedic novel and I want slapstick involved. I want silliness. I want goofiness. And I'm so grateful that Zibi Books and my editor went with such a zany book. I just, it's amazing. And I also then had to really hone what funny how it translated on the page, because at first in, in my early drafts, some of my humor was kind of mean. And I had Joan making little quips about the people on her massage table. And I had early readers say like, this doesn't feel right. And I, and I realized the balance of power, even though she was actually quite powerless in her job in that moment, when she's on when she's in the massage room, she's in authority, she's in power, and people on her table are vulnerable. And so it was kind of cringy to have her making fun of people on her table. And so I had to look at that and think about the hierarchy of power in the stories and have Joan sort of punching up or punching in, but not punching down. So and I think a lot of the like funny humor I had also kind of learned and saw was kind of mean, so I had to rethink that, relearn it, try to figure out what if it's not that sort of humor, then what is it, and how do I shift it? So that was an evolution as well.
0: Yeah. While you were saying that, you know, I was thinking like exactly what you ended up saying—the punch down, punch up—you know—and it is it all makes such a difference. And I think, you know, when I was younger, I probably was more um, into that kind of mean-spirited humor when I was, uh, you know, in high school, maybe, or whatever. And then uh, as time went by, you sort of learn. And I'm a huge consumer of comedy, stand-up, improv, comedic podcasts, and all that stuff, too. So you start to kind of you know really learn what it is you think is funny and also how you want to present characters obviously somebody that people are going to be on board with and like and sure there's room for somebody to have the transformation from being a real wang <laughs> to somebody that <laughs> is learning and growing and everything but uh yeah that's cool i like that you shared that um it's, it's very important it's that kind of what's the what's the mission and what are the values of the the book, the foundation that helps it um, have a certain energy or vibe to it when people are reading it. And it sounds like you're able to get that and you're getting great feedback about about that. So awesome.
1: <laughs> Good work. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, 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 I was getting feedback that my character was unlikable and I bristled at that as a woman as writing a female character i don't think men get told that their characters are unlikable um and yet i heard it a number of times so i had to to sort of listen to that and i went back through and you know joan's sarcastic and she's also you're meeting her at the worst time in her life she's grieving she's about to get fired you know she's backed into a corner she's working for this corporate owned spa and this, you know, really annoying boss. She's just, you know, life's not going so well, but were there ways that I could not soften her, but make her more relatable to readers so that they knew that underneath her causticness was a person who has a more tender side and wants to get back to some of that, wants to maintain some of her saltiness and her edginess, but sees that she's lost something and wants to get back to it. And readers know they're going to be taken on a journey with her to find that. So that's, and they were just subtle. They were subtle shifts, but they were really important. And I'm glad I made them. Awesome. Well, let's wrap this thing up. I'm
0: ready to point people to where they can get your book and also follow along with what you're up to and your next book and everything. So why don't you go ahead and just share your socials and I will share those in the the show notes and um, for the video, you know, below the video where the notes go.
1: So my website is megantady.com and I have a lot of events listed on there. I'm on tour Um, around different places um, in New England and LA and Colorado. Um, And I'm at Meg Tatey on Instagram and you can buy Super Bloom wherever books are sold. Awesome. I love that about books. (laughs) (laughs) Me
0: too. (laughs) Wherever books are sold. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I know everybody's going to just really enjoy hearing your whole story. And I look forward to, to reading your book. And much success to you in the future. Well, thank you, Heidi. This was great. My pleasure. All right, everybody, this has been Vibrant Visionaries. Again, you can find everything at vibrantvisionaries.com. The podcast is called Vibrant Visionaries on YouTube. We call it the Vibrant Visionaries Network, where you can also find me doing like uh, other things like tasting in the Vibrant Kitchen, whipping up some recipes and um, all sorts of good stuff. Thanks again, Megan, and thanks everybody for watching. Ciao for now.